Hi everyone, I am Shub and welcome to Little Wisdom. This is where we look into science and spirituality to strengthen our wisdom and self-awareness. Follow us on Instagram at Little Wisdom Podcast to stay connected. So, when was the last time that you felt afraid? We all know fear, but did you know that it can be inherited from your ancestors? How does its emotional impact manifest in our physical bodies? And what can we do to overcome it if it overpowers us? Find out in today's episode. There are seven universal emotions that everyone in the world experiences. And fear is just one of them. Even if you didn't know someone or they didn't speak your language, if you saw fear, you would recognize it for sure. We all can agree that it's not a pleasant emotion, but it has helped our ancestors survive and it's given us our fight, flight or freeze response when we feel we're in situations that are potentially dangerous. Basically, it kept our ancestors and us alive. Well, while they were alive. So not all that bad, huh? But what about unexplained or irrational phobias? Especially if it's something that you have not come across before and it's something you've not experienced before either. Here's something that'll knock your socks off. Phobias can be passed down as memories from your ancestors in your DNA. Yes, that is right. Research shows that phobias could be a result of genetic memories passed down over generations. Experiments on mice showed that a traumatic event affects the DNA and changes both the brains and the behavior of the next generations, even if they had never experienced the same trauma or situation themselves. The study has been used to provide more insights for phobia and also other conditions like PTSD, anxiety, and more. I have my own little theory, not backed by science, sorry, but it's just a hunch. In addition to passing down the fears, I think it's possible that they may have also given us some good memories. Have you ever been to a place and it feels really familiar to you even though it's your first time there? Maybe you've seen an image and you kind of have a feeling that you know where it is. Or you're drawn to a certain kind of music or you don't know why you're drawn to it or what the words mean. In my own little world, I believe that these two can be passed down from your ancestors. I know people who've had some uncanny incidents that cannot be explained by science. And something similar happened to me too, but that is another story for another time. If we blame our ancestors, sorry, I'm just joking, um, but if we do kind of hold them responsible for some of our phobias, what about our other fears? Undoubtedly, they come from our own lives and experiences, like the fear of flying, spiders, lizards in my case, or talking in front of a crowd. In fact, 77% of the population in U.S. is afraid of public speaking. If I'm not wrong, there was a period in time when it was reported as the biggest fear. People were more afraid of public speaking than they were of death. <laughs> Let's have a moment of silence for all our brave ones who have had this fear and still went on stage. I'm sure that is frightening, but if you've done that and you've 
just got through it, kudos to you. But here's the thing. Getting up on stage or just in, not even on stage, like in a, in a meeting or in a presentation, it's a safe situation, no? So why are we scared to talk in front of people? The answer lies in evolution. Evolution has taught us to be extremely sensitive to eye contact. Colin Clifford, a psychologist at the University of Sydney's Vision Center, says that we perceive eyes watching us as an existential threat. He explains that a direct gaze can signal dominance or a threat. I was quoting him there, by the way. So when you're on stage, that's pretty much what's happening because all eyes are on you. Next time you feel that, tell yourself you're safe. The people sitting there are probably thinking about their grocery list half the time. Not that you're not good, but sometimes people are not stressed about it and they're not judging you as much as we think that they are. So we know we get fears and inheritance, thank you ancestors, and others from our own lives, dreams, and day-to-day. Let's pause there. Think about some of your day-to-day ones. Let me ask you this. How many are actually yours? Or have they been put there by someone around you? I want to tell you a story. On 24th July 1969, a little girl was born to immigrant parents in a tough neighborhood. No matter how hard she tried, she was not great uh, in her studies academically, but she was really, really good at track and field, sports, and school plays. She got through high school, got a part-time job as a secretary at a law firm, and went to college for one semester. A real passion was dancing. And at 18, she enrolled full-time at a dance studio to learn this art. Her mom thought, my daughter is nuts. She has lost her mind and is never going to make it. This, of course, created a rift between her and her parents. And after many, many arguments, her mother asked her to leave the house. Becoming homeless and sleeping on the couch at the dance studio, this girl held tightly onto her dream and protected it against her parents' fears especially her mother's convinced beliefs that this was going to be a disaster. Eventually, and a lot of hard work later, she landed a dancing gig in Europe, which led to other bigger opportunities. In spite of seeing steady success, her mother was still adamant that this is going to fail. That girl is Jennifer Lopez. I don't even need to say anything further than that to prove her success. Her name is synonymous with it and with her passion for entertainment, singing, dancing, basically all the things she knew she had within and refused to let other people's fears crush it, even if those other people were family. Speaking about this, she said, The truth is, nobody knows what's inside of you. Only you know what's inside of you. Even though she got to where she wanted Would you believe it that there were still people telling her that she wouldn't make it, even though she already had? Today, she has a great bond with her mother. I think they kind of, you know, figured it out and sorted out everything. So that's great. But it should be the same with us. By the way, there's thunder in the background. So if you hear that, please just bear with it. Okay, so it it should be the same thing with us. You know, we're not J-Lo, but we should protect our dreams and not let other people's fears come in. Yes, we're not J-Lo, but we don't have to be. 
Listen to the thoughts and the narrative that's playing in your head. I guarantee you, you're going to find something and you're going to be saying words that are not yours. Maybe it's your mom's. Maybe it's your father's. Maybe it's the so-called friend who is discouraging you. All of these, they happen as a reaction rather than a response. When you have an opportunity to try something new or do what you've always wanted to do. Some element of fear and caution, of course, healthy, it's good for you. But allowing other people's fears and doubts to fertilize your garden of dreams will only result in fruits that don't bring you happiness. J. Lou says, love don't cost a thing. But remember, fear costs us many things. So, we can practice courage, of course, for many fears. But what about those that overpower us? Those that we can't seem to move past and have carried from our childhood or bring us some serious anxiety. Before we look at how we can go through them, let's take a step back and see what's happening in our brains when we experience what feels like impending doom. Linda Sub and Arash Javanbhakt. Now these two people are both professors of psychiatry at the Wayne State University. And they explained that the one factor, just one, that decides a small fear response versus a big one is context. Fear starts in the part of the brain that controls our emotional processing, and that part is the amygdala. It detects something, and it starts releasing all the stress hormones. The stress hormones cause fast heartbeat, clammy hands, and the desire to find a toilet. Fast. When this happens, two other parts of the brain join in as well, but to do something entirely different. Those two parts are the hippocampus, which controls learning and memory, and the prefrontal cortex. This controls the cognitive management. So these two, they start analyzing to check and help the brain decide if the threat is real or if it's not. Think of it like Kevin James and Will Smith's characters in the movie Hitch. Whenever Albert, which was played by Kevin James, whenever he freaks out, Hitch, played by Will Smith, steps in and calms him down. Albert is your amygdala. Hitch is your hippocampus and prefrontal cortex. Uh, I decided to let him be both because Will Smith can act and sing. <laughs> anyway, coming back from comedy to fear. When the brain decides that there's no real threat and your hitch has said it's all cool, then you calm down. But the reverse is also true. If it feels too real, all logical thinking will be thrown out the window, even if it's by Will Smith. And then we will go into Albert mode. This gives rise to emotional and physical panic. Sometimes to people on the outside, it's funny, but we don't understand it. We don't really know how bad it can be. But let me change your mind. Imagine turning on the TV, and then you see a wild elephant chasing a safari van. It gets closer and closer, and as it raises its trunk and trumpets angrily, for all of us who are watching from a living room, we'd be excited, so we may feel some physical sensations, maybe a quick breath, fast heartbeat, but generally, we're all right, because Hitch is telling us, it's all right, it's not real. Now, imagine someone who may have actually been in that safari van. They saw this up close, they felt their life flash before their eyes, 
And if they are in the living room and seeing the same thing on their TV, their Albert is not listening to Hitch. Because everything Albert is saying in the damn moment is way too real for them. They know somewhere that this is not real. But to them, it's petrifying. It's because the emotions overpower the logical thinking. Every inch of their body is going to feel that fear. Speaking of feeling fear in our physical bodies, there's another angle I want to introduce at this point. In the spiritual circles, and I'm using the term very generically, there is a dominant belief that in addition to our physical bodies, we also have an emotional body, among others. When an illness shows up in your physical body, it's apparently already existed in your emotional one, and your physical one is the last place that it shows up. Every negative and suppressed emotion carries an energy and eventually shows up and manifests in your physical one as random aches, pains, and illnesses. Since we are born to be expressive, repressing the emotions and keeping it all in is against our natural functioning. And this creates physical problems for us. According to Jill Willard, the author of Intuitive Being, Excessive fear and lack of trust can manifest as hormone imbalance, bloating, joint stiffness, or even dehydration, among other physical symptoms. Before I go any further, let's talk about dehydration. If you've been out playing rugby all day in the sun and not drinking enough water, and you get dehydrated, that doesn't necessarily mean there's a lot of fear in my body, there's a lot of negative motion. It just means you've been out and you've pushed your physical body to the extreme. Okay, usually what this refers to is when something is persistent. When you keep having a strange ache somewhere, or you have a strange pain somewhere, or you have a certain twitch that doesn't go away, and you don't know why. And even doctors are like, well, it's unusual. If I'm not wrong, this is what she's referring to. All right, so just to get that out of the way. So what did Jill Willard say about all of these physical symptoms? She says that when they start showing up, and I'm going to quote her now, ultimately it means we are not using the mental or physical body, either by talking ourselves down to a point of being rational or using the lungs and breath to calm the heartbeat. There are a lot of emotional things that we have to go through, but she points to using our physical body and making the best use of it to help us deal with all of that emotional repression and negativity. So what is the solution? One of them is right in her quote. Use your breath. If you feel fear, you also have this antidote right under your nose. Literally. Many people think it's rubbish. Breathing. Yeah, right. That's going to help me with some impending doom. Apparently, science and spirituality both show it does. The problem is we expect results to be immediate. While it will help you steadily, consistency is always key. Don't diss something if you haven't tried it properly. Now, there are so many types of breathing techniques that you can try, but I'm going to share one which is one of the easiest from yoga. Yoga actually has eight arms, so when people do all those poses and things, those are what we call asanas, and it's only one part of yoga. There's a total of eight parts, and one of them is called pranayama which is breath work. So this technique that we're going to try, in fact, maybe I'll do this with you right now, 
It's called Samavriti Pranayama. This is also known as equal breathing for the sake of, well, commercialization. <laughs> I'm kidding. Having these names, I think, makes it easier for different cultures to learn as well. And honestly, not like I know them myself. All right. So let's do this exercise together right now. There is a massive thunderstorm happening outside my room. So maybe the rain will give us some nice background sounds. All right, so you need to be seated for this if you can. If you're on a bus, driving in a car, all good. If you're mopping the house or sitting and eating a bag of chips or something, well, put the chips down and please stop mopping. If you are finding it difficult to sit, you can lie down too. In which case, good night, my friend. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You can lie down. That's perfectly fine. So once you are comfortably seated, remember, you don't have to intertwine your legs or do any, do any pretzel poses. You can just cross your legs if you want, but you don't have to. So close your eyes and notice how your breath is right now. Don't do anything. Just get a feel of how it is right now. Give yourself three, perhaps five breaths, whatever feels good. Okay, now in the next breath, breathe in, in, one, two, three, four. Hold your breath, breathe out, one, two, three, four. Pause, breathe in again, one, two, three, four. Hold, breathe out, one, two, three, four. That's it. <laughs> That's literally it. It is that easy. I think even kids can do this. So just remember, keep repeating this, making sure your breaths in and out are for the same number of counts. So when you're breathing in, one, two, three, four, hold it, breathe out, one, two, three, four. And then you just do this for a couple of minutes and your mind and body should ease down. Now, if you're having a little bit of extra anxiety or fear, count backwards. So instead of one, two, three, four, you go four, three, two, one, and just keep doing that. Now, why count backwards? Well, this breaks your flow of thoughts because it's against your brain's natural learned counting rhythm. Practice this daily and do this even if you're working and then you start getting stressed while you're at your desk. You can do this, okay? You can go up to five or six. Again, depends on your lungs, how much air you can take in. But it shouldn't be some kind of um, stressful exercise, all right? Do what is comfortable. Three breaths, two breaths, five breaths, whatever works. But equal breath in, equal breath out. Do it for a couple of minutes. Okay, so remember, triumphing over fears is a process. Our bodies have learned to react to it in the way that they do right now, so it does take some unlearning, but it will and it can happen. Our minds and brains are way more adaptable than we give them credit for, so use that muscle. Also remember that there's no shame in feeling fear. We place more pressure and judgment sometimes on men when they say that they're afraid. And we don't do that for women. It's almost like we expect women to be scared. And that's not right, you guys. That's... um. That's bull doo-doo. <laughs> our gender, our color of skin, ethnicity, sexual orientation, these things should not be held against us when we confront our fears. Or 
at all in any situation for that fact. We should be able to be at a point where any one of us can say, I'm scared. And, you know, we all feel it, we all know it, so we might as well be stronger and work together and support each other through it. No shame in feeling it, no shame in asking for support. It's a sign of strength and that you value yourself, which you should. All right, so that is it for today's episode. Fear is a natural response, and the things we are afraid of could be due to genetic memories from our ancestors. We love them. And, and I really mean it, I'm not being sarcastic there. I know I've poked fun a bit of ancestors, but I love mine. Other fears could be due to evolution or our own experiences, while some are placed in our subconscious by those around us. That's where you need to trust your gut and yourself, like J-Lo. And if fear ever feels overwhelming because your Albert emotions are overpowering your hitch rational thinking of the brain, then there are many ways you can breathe through it to let calm re-enter like the Samavriti Pranayama, which we've just done. Release the repressed fear from your body bit by bit and allow our healthy emotional and physical state. You have got this, my friend. I'll leave you with a quote by Mark Twain. He said, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. If you have, then you are a very, very patient person and may you always be awesome. Take care, stay wise, and remember to join us on Instagram at Little Wisdom Podcast. I will see you there. Bye-bye.